Father God, as we gather in your most holy and precious name this morning, as we celebrate the great love that you have for us in Jesus Christ and turn our hearts toward that miracle of miracles when the word became flesh and dwelt among us as we celebrate the advent of Christ. As we're here on the Sunday morning before Thanksgiving Day, mindful of how you have so richly blessed us individually, as a church, we express our gratitude to you today, Lord, and as your word teaches us, we're to give thanks in all things, not for all things, but in all things, in all the circumstances that we go through in life, from the mountaintops to the valleys. And one of the things we're most grateful for is to know that you're an unchanging God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you're always with us. You're always there no matter where we are in life and no matter what has intruded our lives in a negative way on this earth, Lord. One of the things we thank you for and celebrate today is your faithfulness to us as your children. And I thank you for your faithfulness to Jamie and Kathy. And words can't express my admiration and respect for Jamie, the way you've gifted him, his leadership abilities, but also, Lord, the testimony of his life. And it is you who gives, gives him daily strength. You alone could allow him to do all that he does and sustain him the way that you do. We thank you for that, Lord. And right now, I pray for he and I pray for, pray for Kathy, Lord. We thank you so much for her life. Now you use her life. And right now, I pray for her. I pray for her mother. And I pray for Lucretia and Doug. And I pray that your presence in that hospital room, Lord, is, is so strong, Lord, that they're all experiencing your supernatural peace and you would bless them according to your plans and purposes. And as always, we will remember to give you the glory for who you are and all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the things I already knew was that Jamie started an early Christmas series called Unwrapping Christmas. The reason I knew that is because I read your bulletin every week. Selena is good enough to have me on the email list, even after three years. So one of the emails I get every week about Thursday, generally, is your Sunday worship bulletin. And um, I noted a, a couple weeks ago with Jamie starting a little, a little bit earlier than a lot of churches with a Christmas series called Unwrapping Christmas. And so I wanted to kind of go enter into that vein with us for a few minutes this morning. And I'm not going to preach his text or anything. I'm assuming he'll share that with you next, next week. But I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 3 with me this morning. And we're going to look at, a, in particular, a verse in a few moments, verse 15. And it really helps us unwrap 
Christmas, heaven's mystery. So if you just hold your Bibles right there for a few moments, and we'll get to that verse. There were two old gentlemen, maybe I should say older gentlemen, um, standing on the end of a pier. And they were gazing out over the expansive waters of the Atlantic Ocean, as we have all done from time to time. And one of them looked at his friend and he said to him, look at all that water. And the other one responded to him, yeah, just think, that's just the top. Now, I don't know if you ever thought of it like that, but it's amazing when you look at the ocean that that's just the top we're seeing, and then you read the, sometimes the descriptions of what's beneath the surface in a way that's unfathomable to us, that we can't even comprehend. Not only just the depths of it, but just the expansive nature of it all. And to realize we're just seeing the surface. We're just seeing what's on the top of the ocean. And that story reminds me of how most people enter the Christmas season. Because what most people see when they think of Christmas or celebrate Christmas, what most people acknowledge when, when, when they think of Christmas and when we come to this season of the year that we're now entering once again, can only be put in the words of that, that older gentleman who said, it's just the top. Just think about it. It's just the top. It's just what's on the surface. That's the way most people see it and understand it. They know generally about Mary and Joseph, and they know about the baby, Jesus, who was born and how he was placed in a manger and how they were there in the first place because there was no room in the inn. And they know, they know angels appeared and shepherds came and, and knelt at the manger and worshipped. They, they understand the picture of the nativity and the good tidings of great joy. And even that a, a Savior has been born. Most people understand that we celebrate at Christmas time the fact that a Savior has been born. But most people, I, I, I don't believe, understand the, the incomprehensible reality of what's beneath it all. So many people just see the superficial side of Christmas, as important as that is, the surface side of Christmas, without understanding what's beneath it all and why it all transpired the way that it did. That it did. They just see the top. You just think with me for a few moments how beneath the surface of what we celebrate at Christmas, but beneath the surface of Bethlehem's nativity, um, but beneath the manger where the Christ child was placed, from the depths of eternity, past and future, is the unfolding spiritual and eternal dimension. As the Creator, God, accomplishes His redemptive purpose, His redeeming purpose in this world and for this world, for you and me and for everyone. It's a long way back to Luke 2 for us. It's a, it's a long way back to the Christmas story. It's a long way back to the dawn of human life on this earth. 
as recorded in the book of Genesis. And it's a long way from then to when Christ was born. And it's a long way forward from when Christ was born, when Christ entered time in history, to the future that is pictured at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation and, and the new creation when God's redeemed work is done and all of the redeemed are gathered in a new heaven and a new earth where we all will be, who all of us who are in Christ, all of us who've received Him as our Savior will be with Him forever and ever. And yet that climactic moment when the Word became flesh, when God became a baby, is the pivotal event linking eternity past and eternity future. That is rich and deep. So this morning with, with the familiar setting and the scene of that first Christmas at the forefront as we get ready to celebrate this coming month, the Advent, the first Advent, the coming of Jesus Christ, I want us to, for a few moments to dive beneath the surface and go all the way back to the dawn of human history and the first promise of Christmas. Look, look there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where the Lord God speaks and says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now he's speaking there to the serpent. And we'll talk about that story in a moment. Some may read those words and wonder what in the world that has to do with Christmas. What does that have to do with the birth of Jesus? What in the world does that have, have to do with what we're getting ready to celebrate? Well, it's interesting. This, this verse is very often referred to the, the proto-evangelium, proto-evangelium, which is a compound Greek term that means first gospel, first gospel. Good news. First mention of the good news. First mention of the gospel in the Bible. And in this verse, God and the word of God prophesies for the first time salvation, redemption, Christmas. First prophecy. First this is the first proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. That there would be a Savior, a Redeemer that would come and bring victory and bring salvation. Right at the dawn of human history. You probably know the story of creation and how God created man in His own image from the dust of the earth. It's right there. You, you can read it in in the first part leading up to our, our first part of Genesis leading up to our text this morning. Created, created Adam, created man in his own image, placed the image of God in man. 
breathed into his nostrils, and he became a living soul. From the, from the side of the man, remember how God placed him in a deep sleep, and he woke up, and he wasn't alone anymore. He had a, he had a wife. He created Eve from the side, took the rib from, from Adam, and created, created Eve. Placed him in a perfect world. Perfect relationship with, with their creator. Created them to know him in a perfect relationship and in a perfect world. And of course all that changed. It's, it's in the first part of chapter 3. There was a tempter, a serpent. A, there was Satan. And he invaded their world and tempted Adam and Eve. Remember how God said, it's all yours. He gave them dominion over it. He said, but there's one thing. You must not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And remember the promise he made them. If you do, you will surely die. You will surely die. And he seduced them. And they succumbed and they ate of the fruit and they chose to sin. And sin enters paradise. Sin separates them from God. Sin infects the human race. That's when sin entered this world. And we know for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all been infected with sin. That's what's wrong with this world. That's what's wrong with our lives. Sin entered the world and entered our lives. Remember how their first impulse was to hide from God. They were filled with shame. They, they, they hid from God. God pursued them. The, 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 their, their second impulse when confronted with their sin was what? To make excuses. Blame someone. Remember what Adam said? Well, I was fine until you created this woman. She made me do it. I, I ate the fruit because she gave it to me. Remember what, remember what Eve said? Wasn't my fault. Serpent, the devil made me do it. Blame someone else. And all of a sudden, the beauty and the, and the perfection of Eden is marred and scarred by sin. Evil has entered the human race. And instead of the glory of God, think about it. Instead of God's glory, instead of paradise, suddenly there's guilt and there's shame. And there's the wages of sin, which is death, separation. Death entered the human race. And then God speaks and God pronounces judgment. You can read it. I won't read it. But in verse 16, he pronounces judgment on Eve. In verses 17 through 19, he pronounces judgment on Adam. But prior to that, in verses 14 and 15, he pronounces judgment on the devil. He pronounces judgment on the serpent. Look at, look at verses 14 and, and 15 again. Look, look at what he says in that 14th verse leading up to our text. So the Lord God said to the serpent... Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly, you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your heel and you will strike. You, excuse me. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. 
the arch enemy of God, the arch enemy of the children of God, the arch enemy of you and me has just succeeded in his evil scheme to deceive the prized creation of the Creator, Almighty God. And evil, so it seemed, had triumphed over righteousness. Sometimes you can look at the world and it appears evil is triumphing over righteousness. And certainly it looked like evil had triumphed over righteousness. Satan must have exalted in glee. Because man had rebelled against his creator. And the world would never be the same. Marred by sin. But God had a plan. And the purposes and the plans of God cannot and will not be thwarted. And the story begins to unfold in the pages of Scripture. How God is a God of redemption. God is a God of salvation. And in those dire words spoken to, the, to Satan, in those dire words spoken to the serpent, the door of hope is open. The door of promise of redemption resonates. And it resonates from the mouth of the creator of not only human life, but of the entire universe. It's been said that everything in scripture flows from this one verse. And that as the acorn contains the mighty oak, so these words in verse 15 contain the entire plan of salvation. And it is very important to, to realize that from this point forward, the whole word of God begins to point toward the coming of a, of a Messiah, the Savior of the world. And from that point forward, when he comes, it points to what we're to be doing on this earth until he comes again with eternal salvation. And in the context of man's spiritual fall, and in the context of the death sentence that it results in, comes the promise that the story has not ended, the story has just begun. The story is just beginning. And here is the first gospel. The first good news of Jesus Christ. First part of that verse is, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. I will put enmity between you and the woman. You see, there's a great war raging. And the great war of the ages is not a war between earthly armies. The great war is the ongoing spiritual war between the forces of heaven and the forces of darkness. The forces of God and the forces of hell. Between God and Satan, and right there on the hills of Satan's greatest victory, God pronounces what the devil already knows. And he knows it this morning. He is defeated. We need to be reminded of that. He is a defeated enemy. He's doomed. And God says to him, at that point, I will put enmity between you and the woman. I will put enmity between your offspring and hers. Enmity means deep-seated hatred. Enmity be means rivals. It means hostility. It means animosity. 
And from the day that the devil confronted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden until this very day and until the return of Christ to this earth to claim his bride, the church, God's adversary, God's enemy is also his children's enemy. We do have an adversary while we're on this earth. We do have someone that wants to ruin our lives and our testimonies. There's enmity between us and the serpent. You remember what Paul said in Ephesians 6 verse verse 12? He said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The two realms, the two kingdoms are at war. And Satan is at war against God. He's at war against the kingdom of God. He's at war against his people. And yet here is the first gospel. Here is the first promise of our coming Savior that has come. God promises that from the offspring of the woman, from the seed of Eve, will come the one, capital O, will come the one who will crush the head of Satan. And there in the Garden of Eden, at the dawn of human history, the verdict is declared by Almighty God. The verdict of Satan is declared. There in the Garden of Eden, God's plan of salvation is inaugurated. God's plan of salvation is commenced. And from this verse forward, the entire Old Testament leads to what we celebrate on December the 25th. The climax of God's eternal plan of redemption came when a young maiden named Mary gave birth to a baby and was told to name him Jesus. Satan knew that day was coming. The prophet Isaiah had prophesied, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Satan knew that from the seed of the woman, the seed of Eve, would come the one who would be born, who would crush his head. And then one day, one day he heard, Satan heard the angel of the Lord tell a young Jewish virgin named Mary these words. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And he heard... The angel tell a young Jewish carpenter these words. Matthew 1 verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus. 
because He will save His people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call Him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That night, some 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, the promise was fulfilled. The time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, strips of cloth, placed him in a manger. In Galatians 4, 4, the Apostle Paul reflects, but when the time had fully come, when the time had fully come, at the perfect time, God sent forth His Son. How? Born of a woman. Born of a woman. Through the offspring of the woman, God sent the world's Savior to reverse sin's curse and to offer salvation. To our sin-darkened world. To you and to me. Note that last line of, of verse 15 in Genesis 3. God tells Satan, and you will strike his heel. You will strike his heel. Now, now get this in your mind. He's crushed. He's defeated. He's dead. He's doomed. Doomed to the eternal lake of fire forever and ever. And yet God says, you will strike his heel. Revelation 12, 12 says he is filled with fury. Satan is filled with fury. The dragon in, Satan, in Revelation. He's filled with fury because he knows his time is short. Now think about that in perspective. He's filled with fury because he knows our enemy knows the time is short. And you think of how he futilely struck the heel of the Lord Jesus while he was on this earth. He was there all the time. He was there all the time. I mean, after he was born, what happened? King Herod issued an edict to massacre all the boy children to and under. That's hard to wrap your, your mind around. Kill all the boy children. I'm going to get rid of this. I'm going to get rid of this. I'm going to eradicate this new king that has been born. Or at the inauguration of his public ministry, the 40 days in the wilderness where Satan was right there with him. He was doing battle, spiritual war. Or you, or you think of his constant, ongoing, continuing conflict with the religious authorities. Wherever he went. Like they were nipping at his heels. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, after he had been betrayed by one of his own, the son of perdition, he's, he's referred to, Judas Iscariot. And then the cross itself, where he bore our sins. Paul says, he, became, he who was without sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. That's beneath the surface. 
that the perfect Lamb of God on the cross became our sin, became sin, and took our place. Our substitute, he became our substitute on the cross. The beaten, bloody, lifeless body of Jesus. Satan must have felt victorious for a short period of time there. He must have felt at that moment like he did after Adam and Eve had, had eaten the fruit. And yet it was at the cross where this prophecy is fulfilled. He will crush your head. He will crush your head. One of the images from the movie, The Passion of the Christ, that most stuck with me was right at the intro to the movie when when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he he rises from his his prayer and the anguish and everything he was going through is the weight of of what what was taking place bore down on him, and it shows him getting up, and he steps on the head of, a serp- of the serpent and crushes it, foretelling what was about to take place the next day on the cross. Satan had struck at Jesus' heel to no avail, but no one survives a crushed head. The cross was God's death blow against Satan. Remember his cry? Just before he died, it is finished. Tetelestai, paid in full, done. The writer of Hebrews said he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down, it was done. It was finished. 1 John 3, 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work work and that was done through his incarnation and his perfect life and his substitutionary death on the cross when he died in our place for our sin and his eternal fate the serpent's eternal fate is sealed oh like any snake and I know a lot of you have killed snakes And you crush their head, and and yet what still happens? The snake is dead, right? Snake's not coming back to life. He's he's dead. But boy, he keeps wiggling. And even a poisonous snake, if you're not careful, I understand. That mouth can even be popping open and closed, and those fangs can still be exposed, and you don't want to be there, even if the snake's already dead. And just like that, the the, the enemy is still thrashing in this world. He's still striking at the heels of God's children. He's still wreaking havoc in this world. Peter said he's he's prowling like, like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. But when you leave here today, leave knowing he has been forever crushed and defeated. And his time is short and he knows it. And Christ is the victor. And he knows it. From the offspring of Eve, born of a woman, from the womb of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, he came by means of a miraculous virgin birth in order to destroy 
the devil's work in order that our sins, yours and mine, and anyone who will trust might be atoned for. He died for the sins of the world in order that we might be forgiven, in order that we might, separated by sin and facing death, be reconciled to a holy God forever and ever and receive the gift of eternal life. The one who made us in his own image will redeem us and make us his child forever and ever. Make us new creations, old gone, new has come, in order that we might be saved from eternal hell, in order that we might go to our eternal home in a new heaven and a new earth. We'll celebrate what's on the top and the blessed nativity. But when we do, remember what's beneath it all and what it all means to the glory of God and for our salvation. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Lord, it's overwhelming. When we ponder the depths of your love for us, the depths of what you've done for us, even as John received in the Revelation that the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. It's your eternal plan. And we're a part of it. And I thank you that we can gather in your living name today and realize the reality and the truth of what we celebrate this coming month. As we celebrate once again Christmas. We're grateful, Lord, that we have a king that has won for us the victory. And he's done it all for us. And when we come to trust you as our Lord and Savior, Lord, we recognize that it is all by your grace. It's through nothing we've done or could do, nothing we could ever merit, nothing we could ever achieve or, achieve or deserve. But it's all through what you have done for us. Saved by grace through faith. And that puts it all in perspective. Lord, give us, those who know you as Lord and Savior, give us the strength that we need day by day. Help us to live in the power of your Holy Spirit in this fallen, dark world. Help us to present lives before our fellow man of what it truly means to know this Redeemer, Jesus. And I pray that if someone is here today and they've never trusted in you and never placed their life in your hands through faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would convict their hearts of their need for you, convict them of their sin, and that you're the only remedy, and that you're the only one that can ever give victory, and you're the only one who has conquered the grave, and you're the only one that can give eternal life in a home in heaven. And it's there to receive as a gift. So we thank you for the indescribable gift of Jesus Christ.
And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand. Pastor JB is going to be here at the front. And if there's a decision you need to make, if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, what a great time to do it. The Sunday before Thanksgiving, the Sunday before we turn our hearts toward Christmas and all we're going to be celebrating, and to know the one who has come as your own personal Lord and Savior, that's what transforms everything. And you just need to make that known. You need to trust in Christ. JB's here to receive you. If there are other decisions that need to be made today, you come as we're led in the song, Emmanuel. To every question.